You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay, man, during worship, I just kept getting all of these kind of um, pictures and cool stuff going on about the talk. And so I'll try to bring it together, but um, it's fun when God does that. You know, we, last week we talked about new creation. We've been in this series with the other churches. And I talked about, um, you know, kind of what does it look like to be a new creation, that we are a new creation, that we need to think like a new creation, right? And I get home, and my wife, who is type A, very smart, uh, she says, how, what does that look like? Like, Give me some nuts and bolts, Antley. You know, you told us this is who we are, but you need to tell us, what does this look like? Practically, what does it look like? How do we live as a new creation? And so, and so in this talk, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you kind of really um, what the enemy, one of the things the enemy uses to prevent us from living as a new creation. I'm also going to tell you the things that need to change or the things that do change in our life for us to live as a new creation. And so it's going to be kind of a to-do. Like, this is what we should expect. This is what we, how we should respond. This is how we should live. And here's the thing. Whenever we start studying, we start looking at Scripture with the how-to-do's thing, uh, we start to feel the burden of doing. We start to feel the, um, we, you know, and, it, and a lot of times it's taught in a way that is uh, kind of like, you better do this or God's not going to love you. Or you better do this, or you're not a good Christian. And, and, so, and so a lot of, whenever we start to talk about how to live as a Christian, we're immediately kind of, this, this shame and this guilt motivation is lumped on us. And, and I want to remind us all of this reality. Everything that D- Jesus teaches, everything that's in the Bible is being told to us out of love. That Jesus loves us. That Jesus wants freedom for us. That Jesus, um, that he has so much adoration that he has died for us and he wants us to capitalize on the work that he has done, the death that he has died for us to find freedom. And so I'm going to say some things today that might seem difficult and, and in no way should they feel condemning. They should lead to freedom. They should lead to life. One of the pictures I had and that I've been having this week is um, I've been watching this, this movie, um, The Long Way Around. It's about Ewan McGregor, Ewan, Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor this Brit who are this, uh, he's from Scotland, and he is going around the world with a friend on these big motorcycles, these big BMW 1200s. And it's the story of him going around, right? And tomorrow, I actually fly. I know, you better pray for me because I talked about how terrified I get sometimes. I'm flying to England to speak at a St. Mary's conference next week at their Sunday night service. And uh, I'm going to fly in a little early with Charlie, my good friend. And we're going to ride these 1,200 BMWs around England for three or four days, right? And uh, in the show... There's this uh, time when they, they take these massive heavy bikes down this rocky trail, right? And then into this valley, into this gorge. And they're riding, and it's just beautiful, and they're amazed. It's so cool. And uh, kind of going down, it's kind of slippery, and they were out of control a little bit, but it, was, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. They ride in the valley, and then it shows them trying to get up out of the valley. And it is a train wreck. 
I mean, they're falling over. They're going inching mile an hour. They can't push their bikes because they weigh so much. And, uh, and they're just falling again and again and again. And it takes them forever. And when they get to the top, they say, man, it is a lot harder to get out of the valley than it is to get in it. And, and, the, and what I felt like Jesus is saying to us today is that some of us are sliding and we feel a little bit out of control. And, and Jesus wants to remind us that you're a new creation and this is how you should live. And some of us are in the valley and Jesus is with us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't left us. He is walking with us in that dark place wherever we are with the promise that you're going to get out. I'm going to lead you out. And some of us have been in that dark place and we are fighting and clawing and trying to get out of that valley. And, and the sense that I had is Jesus is just behind us. He is the power, his tread, his motorcycle. He doesn't slip. He doesn't falter. He doesn't. He is walking and pushing and getting us out of that, that valley that we've been in, that he's been with us in, uh, so that we can live as a new creation and we can experience new life. Um, Jesus tells us to set the old self away, to die to ourself and walk as new creations. In the scripture, Romans 6, 4, it says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And we're going to celebrate this when we do the baptisms, that we go into the water signifying we have died to ourselves and we come out as a new creation with Christ robed in righteousness And then in Ephesians 4, 22, 24, it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and its corruption through deceitful desires. That's who you used to be. Don't, you know, take that off. Forget about it. It's over. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And that, I mean, those are amazing, very clear verses of, you know, of being told, do this, live as a new creation. But we struggle with this. We struggle with believing who we are and with living like that is true. So what does it look like to live as a new creation? Living as a new creation means that we have new attitudes and we have new actions Attitudes are feelings, thoughts. It's a mindset. It's how we think, what we believe to be true. And that has to change if we're going to live as a new creation. The second thing is our actions. If we want to live and experience life, we have to live differently. And I'm going to unpack these things. We have to live differently. We have to act differently. Throwing off our old self and becoming new. So attitude has to change and actions have to change, okay? So attitude. Attitude is changed and transformed by the inward journey with Jesus Christ, okay? Our attitudes are changed when we worship him and we experience and we, we worship something bigger. Attitude is changed when we read the word and we're reminded of who we are and the spirit comes in and transforms our heart. Attitude is changed when we receive prayer ministry and the Lord speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Attitude is changed when we go into our prayer closet and we spend time with the Lord. Attitude is changed when we meditate with the Lord. And it goes on and on. Those are all inward journey things that cultivate in us the character of Christ. And this is, this is spoken of in the fruit of the Spirit, okay? In Galatians 5, 19 to 26. He says, now the works of the flesh... 
And Paul is contrasting these things, okay? He's saying, this is who you were, and this is who you should be. The works of the flesh, who you were before the Spirit came into you. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. That's who you were. I warn you. And as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, that those things are inconsistent with being a new creation and living as a new creation. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it gets, again, such things, there's no law. That you are under the law of love now. The old law is gone, and you are under a new law, the law of love. And the way that the law of Christ, the law of love, fleshes out in your life is through these things. This is who you really are now. And your attitude should change. The inward, how you think, how you know, your mindset about others, about life, that should change. Who you are should change. Your attitude should change. And the way that it changes is about the inward journey with Jesus Christ. Okay? You get that? You got that. Okay, so that's half. That's attitude. Okay, point two. And this is the harder one, okay? How we live. John Wimber said, I know you've heard me say this a million times, that faith is spelled R-A-S-K. And I think what he meant by this is that faith, what we believe in, uh, what our attitude is, should lead to living differently, okay? And living differently requires us to risk what we believe is true. It is risky to love your neighbor when you've never met them. What does that look like in your life? It is risky to pray for someone you don't know to be healed, knowing that they might not be in the way that we would like right then. That's risky. It's risky to move into a dangerous neighborhood where you don't know anyone for the sake of the gospel, to share the gospel, and to bring the light of the gospel into a place that is unfamiliar, a place that might be a different culture, locally or in missions. It is risky to sell everything. It is risky to give beyond our means, expecting God to show up. It is risky to live generously and to give generously. These things, and, there, and I could go on and on, are a lifestyle change that should occur when we begin to have a different attitude. It's a kind of response that we should have when we understand and believe that we really are a new creation. That having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness in our hearts. And yet, I think this is the problem. I think this is the main issue we have is we measure our spiritual life with our attitude and we give ourselves the permission to not live like it's true. And so we come and worship, we come and read the Bible, we, we do really good things to cultivate a heart that has the right attitude. But those things are not risky, really. They cost our time. They co- you know, we make an effort in that direction but, but when it, in terms of us sacrificing our life and living in a different way, that's not what that's about. That's about, Keegan, it's good to see you. That's about the inward journey, right? And the inward journey is a means to an end. Now, I want to I clarify that. I want to be cu- careful with that. 
The inward journey is an end in itself too because we're worshiping the Lord and we'll be worshiping the Lord forever. But when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, what do we see? We see intimacy with the Father, an identity in the Father, grounded in the Father's love. This is my son who I'm well pleased, driven into the desert and tested. He comes out of the desert and what's he start doing? Risking his life, praying for people, bringing sight, bringing healing, suffering, being chased out of town, being, you know, the threat of being stoned, his disciples abandoning him, people turning away from his teaching, him being left alone, not having a place to lay his head. That is a lifestyle that demonstrates, I believe my father is good. I believe my father will care for me. I believe my father will rescue me. I believe that he is my, you know, I am here to build his kingdom. And I want to remind you that all of those things are good that we cultivate in our heart, right? All those inward journey things. But think about our real heart. Think about our physical heart. I was thinking about this. And um, what, you know, our heart is what gives us life. If our heart stops, we die, okay? And um, when we don't exercise our heart, what happens to our heart? It gets weaker. And the longer we don't exercise our heart, the harder it is to do the things that God has for us to do because our heart is so weak. And so our spiritual heart can get weak just like our physical heart. And the way that it gets weak is by not exercising it, not living like the things we say we believe are true, not risking for the kingdom of God, not stepping out in faith. That's how we exercise what we believe to be true in our life. How we think, what we believe should inform how we live. And how we we live reflects or should inform what we think. That is what it looks like to be a new creation. Okay, so what, this is one of the tools. What stops us from living like that? And, and some of us, it's the inward journey that we struggle with, right? It's cultivating the life experience, the love for the Father. And so we, we do the outer stuff, but it's not out of love. It's out of obedience, And we're doing it in our own efforts. And so it's both of these areas, right? It's not one or the other. But I think in our church, we've done a really good job of cultivating the inward journey. You know, you come to worship, it's just amazing. You know, we have prayer ministry and God ministers to us. I mean, we're just better at that, you know, and that's what God's called us to, to be the kind of church in our town. And those are all good things. Rick Warren says this. This is one of the things that stops us. One of the things the enemy uses. He's the author of A Purpose Driven Life. He says... Familiarity, 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 braids complacency. I think one of the things that, that our enemy, the devil, uses to stop us on the inward journey and to stop us living the life that we should live, a life of risk, is complacency. And I found this anonymous quote. If you type it into Google, everyone quotes this, right? It says this about complacency. Complacency is a disease that saps energy, dulls attitude, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symptom is satisfaction with the things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and hate the new. 
Like water, complacent people follow the easiest course downhill. They draw false strength from looking back. Complacency comes and does two things for us. Two things affect us when we become complacent. Self-defeat and self-satisfaction. Self-defeat is when we think poorly and incorrectly about ourselves. We do a lot and we uh, do, uh, and, uh, here to dwell with our attitude. This is attitude, right? Self-defeat is when we're like, oh, man, I can't pray for people. Oh, man, I can't share the gospel. Oh, man, I'm horrible. I did this sin last night. I know God doesn't forgive me. You know, woe is me. I'm a worm. I'm horrible. You know, and so Satan uses this self-defeat to, to make us believe that we're not a new creation. And if we believe we're not a new creation, then, then how are we supposed to believe that we are called to make other people a new creation? And I spoke on this in Romans 8 for a long time. You know, um, what does it mean that there's no condemnation for us? A self-defeated person, a, a person who, who settles for less than God has for them and, and, and about how he sees them is, is going to be powerless. Is going to continue to look back on things that were and never risk and go forward. And we do a great job. Again, at RCC, we speak a lot about the Father's love about how much he loves us, how much he adores us, how much he cares for us, that we're a new creation. There's no condemnation. And and again, I've explained what that is like here. The other one is self-satisfaction. A life oriented around comfort. And this is our actions, okay? Comfort, I've heard it said, is the antithesis of the gospel. That the church was created to comfort the troubled and trouble the comfortable. Comfort is the antithesis of the gospel. That means that they are opposites. And if we are living in the gospel, if we are living like Jesus Christ is Lord, one of the things that should, should be in our life is discomfort, is risk, us stepping out, us doing what the world doesn't do. And the more comfortable we are in areas of our life, the more we're going to avoid risk in those areas. The more we're going we're, to, if we're comfortable, you know, and, and, and it's just not physical comfort. I'm not talking about I live in a big house and I live on the river or I live in a big house, I'm comfortable. I've got a 74-inch HDTV, I'm so comfortable watching it. You know, I'm not talking only, I mean, physical comfort is one of the things that affects us being able to reach out. You know, or if God calls us to missions or if God calls us to live a different kind of lifestyle. I mean, comfort and physically where we live can do that. But I think the way the enemy attacks us is we become comfortable within our area of giftedness. I'm a prophet, so I'm only going to prophesy. I'm an evangelist, so I'm only going to speak. And what happens over time is we become more and more gifted in those areas, which is a good thing. But then we stop to open ourselves to the Spirit to lead us in ways that would cause us to risk. So our prophets in the church, like, it's not a risk for them. As, as they've grown in their, in their faith, the enemy can make them comfortable. You know, speaking for me is an area that I'm comfortable at. You know, I don't have to risk when I speak. It's comfortable to me. And so within our area of giftedness, the enemy makes us complacent. And when we're complacent, we don't live a life that is risky. We don't live a life that is different from anyone else's living. 
John Wimber said this. He said, we're like milk. When we sit, we sour. We're like milk. When we sit, we sour. And so in River City Church, we invite you to come in. We invite you to get healed, healed up. But if you continue to only do that, you'll get fat, and you're like milk. You'll get fat in the spirit, and you won't exercise your heart. It will get weaker, and like milk, you will sour. And you will not live the life you were created for. Your actions will not reflect what you say you believe in a heart. So your heart may be big. It might be filled with the Spirit. It might be filled with the love of God. But it is beating so slowly. It can be unhealthy to the point where you cannot exercise that belief in the world. You cannot build and extend the kingdom of God the way that Jesus tells us to. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission if your goal in life is to be comfortable, because you will stop risking, stop exercising your heart. And again, complacency. This is a tool. This is one of the tools of the devil that kills our heart. It creates a self-defeat and a bad attitude about ourselves, and then it stop, he stops us from living. He gives us, oh, just live a comfortable life. There's grace. C.S. Lewis says this, I don't even know if this fits. I read it, and I thought it was awesome. Not awesome. It's kind of basic, but I never heard it before. I was looking for a different thing, and I found this. He said, we are like eggs at present, and we cannot go on identifying, and wait, we cannot go on and definitely being just ordinary, just an ordinary decent egg. We must hatch or we'll go bad. So C.S. Lewis is saying, we can't continue to live as an old creation. We can't continue to live. We can't continue to be like all the other eggs. We've been given life. We've been given a spirit that calls us to hatch from the place that we were and become something that we can only be under the power of Christ, motivated by a heart that loves him, that's cultivated on the inward journey. This week, I was at Winn-Dixie, and I was running an errand, and I ran in there, and I, I'm, someone in our church was there, and they're, and they're just going, I didn't know this, they're going through this really hard time, right? Their life is falling apart in every way, and they are just, they were just in a bad place. I didn't know. I started talking to them. We're in the checkout line, right? And, um, and they just begin to tell me what's happening in their life, and it's just, I'm just, it just saddened my heart. And, and, and this person said, they said, I've made a prayer closet, Antley, and I've been praying for seven months in this prayer closet every day, every day that something would change. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, don't worry, it'll be okay. And she's in the valley, right? I said, don't worry, it'll be okay. God will not leave you. God will not leave you. You'll be okay. And she looked at me, and this has never happened to me. Normally when I say that to people, they're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Right? Thanks for nothing, Antley. I just told you I've been in prayer closet seven months and nothing's happened. You're going to tell me everything's going to be okay? And she looks at me in the eyes, and again, she's very emotional. And she says, will I? Will I really be okay? Because the way I feel right now is that I won't. I don't think my life will ever be okay again. And I said, yes, I know your life will be okay. Because unlike our struggle with complacency and our failure at times 
to complacency. Jesus, even though he was tempted, is not complacent when he comes to you. That you are his new creation. You are his son. You are his daughter. He has died for you. He is relentless in coming after you to save you, to rescue you, to walk with you as you slide down into the valley, to walk with you in in the darkest places, and to lead you out back to the mountaintop where you will experience the life that he has for you. He promises, he promises that we are a new creation. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to fill us with his spirit. He promises that while he is gone, he is interceding for us, but he will come back for us because we are his sons and daughters. And right now, he is on the throne preparing a place for us. All of us, regardless of where you are, the promise from Jesus is, I am not complacent. Even when you slide and you fail, I am not complacent. I am coming for you because I love you. Let's stand.